Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Hello, welcome to B-Sides. Um, we are in Revelation chapter 12 today. Uh, and I am very excited to have some fun stuff. Uh, we're going to look at some angelology today, um, which I think will be a good time. Uh, also going to look at some time time frame stuff, um, which I, I think is important. Uh, so anyways, uh, two, two things, or um, my, a little share about my, I got a call from my mom today, who we all prayed for on Sunday, uh, having heart had a heart of you know having heart issues and uh (laughs) uh she said from the from the moment we prayed for a church her blood pressure regulated and uh that stopped getting worse uh and then but it was still very low from all the medications she took to get her heart you know her blood pressure down it was you know 160 over 112 or 20 or whatever it was it was just really high and um I talked to her after church. I said, how you feeling? She said, um, uh, she said, um, you know, my heart rate's raising again. And she was worried about it, that I was going to start, you know, she just worried it was going to start racing, but it actually just normaled out from the medication. So since we've prayed for her, she's been totally great. So I talked to her today. She seemed like a new person. And when I talked to her a few, two days ago, she was in really bad shape. I was like, go to the hospital, <laughs> go to the doctors. So we, we prayed for a miracle on Sunday and uh, we, we may just have gotten one. So thank you for all your prayers. Continue to pray. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen God's people's prayers answered in really spectacular ways. And so God answers prayers. He absolutely does. And it's important when he does answer prayers to not move past them. Uh, but to give him uh, his due glory. And, and what I told her, I said, look, e- even if this isn't a forever fix for your heart, God, God's given you a little break here, some rest. And so take it, <laughs> enjoy it, and be thankful. Uh, this is a gift any way you shake it. And so be, you know, rejoice, rejoice and be glad. So anyways, thank you all for your prayers. Anyways, Revelation chapter 12, uh, verse... Um, Verse one. Oh, one more thing. I was thinking about when we first started these B-sides, we started them at 10 because church started at 10. But now church starts at 9.30, and I'm wondering if we should start these B-sides at 9.30. I almost wonder for my schedule if that might be a little better. Um, so if anyone has any uh, thoughts on that, please just let me know. Text me. Uh, uh, put it in Faith Life, uh, in the Facebook notes, something. Uh, let me know whether that works or doesn't work for you, because uh, it's not like we have 150 people here and everyone's going to adjust. Most people watch this later after it's posted. Uh, but for those of you that are live, uh, I want you guys to, you know, be able to catch it because you know you're faithful in catching it. So just please let me know that that would mean a lot. Uh, I don't want to leave you in the in the dust there <clears throat> if that's something that doesn't work, uh, and I'll, I'll try to compile uh, as best I can. Uh, what what people are saying. Uh, anyways, Revelation chapter twelve, 
Uh, verse 1, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun. Uh, so very glorious there. With the moon under her feet, uh, seems to be dominion. And on her head, a crown of twelve stars. Uh, picked, uh, very similar, I think, a picture of uh, the twelve tribes of Israel. Uh, and if we want to maybe push this a little bit, uh, we can look at the twelve apostles uh, there. The twelve uh, inner disciples. Um, you know, showing that the the, the the church continues on the people of God there, but but it seems to be messianic Israel here. Verse two: She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, red bloody bloody dragon, red scales with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth and the dragon stood you know I, i'm trying to figure out because in genesis chapter three this is in my notes but this has been poking at me in genesis chapter three the the serpent the dragon he tempts he tempts uh, the man and woman adam and eve and God says, on the belly you will crawl all the days of your life. So when it says stand here, I don't think it means with feet or paws. I think it's, I think it's, um, he's raising his belly up off of the earth, uh, off of heaven or whatever it is. He's standing as a snake would to devour. Um, and, and maybe even that's a sign of its rebellion as his belly should be on the ground. Uh, but either way, verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, timeline. Verses, these verses, uh, the, the timeline to where these things are, Every scholar I read has different timelines. Even in the early church fathers, Victoranius, two timelines. I think uh, Irenaeus, off the top of my head, had multiple timelines. Um, uh, Beale, whose work is unbelievable in this work, he's in four different timelines in this passage. Um, even my post-millennial brothers have, you know, one to two different uh, timelines here. So, uh, any way you slice this, either, either way this, this war in heaven happened in Jesus's earthly ministry, or maybe it happens in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, or in the beginning of the Great Tribulation, before, as a lot of dispensational brothers and sisters believe, Jesus has returned uh, a pre-tribulational um, a return, which, you know, dispensationalists believe, um, you know, the, the timeline here is all over the place. And so I could be wrong, but I want to share with you where I'm coming from. And, and, uh, I, I believe that these verses have already occurred. I think the back half of chapter 12 is going to be future, but I think the first half is placed within the context of already happened. Uh, again, I'm not concrete on this. I, I, I'm not dying on this hill, but just as I look at the text long enough, this is where I'm at. Uh, so quickly, uh, what's the context here for these early verses? It's in the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus's earthly ministry, the incarnation, and then the ascension. Okay, so we're we're in the context of Jesus's earthly ministry. Uh, the war in heaven is Satan's claim to Jesus's throne. Again, it's within the context of Jesus ascending to power. And if the war uh, that we read just now. Uh, really happened in Jesus's life, that sheds light as to why there was so much demonic activity in Jesus's day. Do you notice in Jesus constantly is fighting the demonic? Now, one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is, where are all these demons today? Why aren't they as obvious today? And maybe they are. Maybe we just aren't as sensitive to, to this. Um, but there seems to be a very heightened sense of demonic activity in Jesus's day. Could this be when they were cast to the earth? Uh, another question we have, uh, Jesus says this uh, really interesting thing in Luke chapter 10, 18. He says, and he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents, plural, and scorpions, plural, and over all the power of the enemy, uh, and nothing shall hurt you. That kind of sounds like Revelation 12, now doesn't it? And Jesus says he saw past tense. So at some point, Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning. And maybe that means his initial fall, when he first took down a third of the... of of uh, the, the angels with him. Uh, but th th that seems odd to me because if he's, if this is talking about the fall at the beginning of creation, okay, what is Satan later in the book of Job? Why is Satan later in the book of Job back in heaven? It could be that God threw Satan to earth like a lightning bolt from heaven, but then let him back into accused believers in heaven. Uh, but but it seems more plausible to me that Jesus saw that Jesus saw Satan fall permanently to earth. Again, we're dealing with things where that we're not super clear on uh, the, the the timing. Gee, God doesn't seem to ever be too concerned with giving us the very specific timing of prophecies. And as we look at chapter 11 and chapter 12, we're dealing with multiple timelines. And so I could be wrong, but as I look at the context, that's where I'm at. And I, I do want to say your little footnote. If you're really familiar with chapter 12, uh, you may be wondering what I do with verse 6. Uh, and that is, let's read it. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. A lot of people take that as for the first three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, the Antichrist makes a peace treaty with the people of Israel. At the three and a half year mark, at the three and a half year mark, that treaty is broken. At that point, the two witnesses, uh, at some point around there, come down and for three and a half years torment the people of the land, of the earth. But during those three and a half years, the messianic believers have to flee Jerusalem and they have to seek shelter and they hide in, in the wilderness. Uh, and so a lot of people say that that is what that 1,260 days represents. Uh, and that may be the case, but um, 
what I'm thinking of is Jesus, This the, the, verse 6 is talking about, because we're in the context of Jesus' birth, we're in the context that the serpent reared up to devour the child which he did inherit, I think we're in the timeline of Jesus' earthly ministry. And what happened when, when the serpent got up to consume the, the, the child and its mother? Well, they fled to Egypt until a time had passed. Three, about three and a half years sounds about right. So maybe I believe verse 6 is talking about Jesus' flight to Egypt. That being said... Uh, verses 13 through 14 almost describes a very similar event in chapter 12. If you look at verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given with two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. There again, we're at three and a half years again. I believe verse 6 to be in the time of Jesus and, I, and verses 13 and 14 to be in the future. That's where I believe that the, the, the back half of the tribulation is in view. Uh, after Satan has been cast down, he then starts to pursue God's people in persecution. And again, I, I, I believe these... Two sections are so similar yet different, uh, not because they're describing the same event in two different ways. I believe that they're similar stories, yet they're describing two different events. Again, I could be wrong, but I think Jesus's flight with Mary and Joseph into the wilderness, into Egypt, uh, was a foreshadow of what the the, the Messianic Jews are going to have to do in the last uh, three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Again, that's where I'm at. I could be wrong, uh, but, you know, be kind. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to say, uh, I want to read something from John MacArthur. Uh, I want to read his thoughts on the timing of all this because I think it's very plausible. Uh, and and I, I think it's, I, I like... When it comes to things to be dogmatic about, I'm very dogmatic. Very dogmatic. You're not moving me. I'll die on that hill. But when it comes to things that we shouldn't go to war over, I don't go to war over it. That seems silly to me. Even Paul said, you know, when he talked about people, whether they should be married or not, he was very clear in to say, I'm of the persuasion. I believe. He, Paul was very clear even in his own ministry as the apostle to the church to separate what was truth and what was what he was feeling. And, and I, I, I feel that. And I know pastors are told to pick a position and stand on that authority and preach it like it's true. And there's, there's some truth to that, but that also creates division in Christ's body. You know, we, we shouldn't be willing to throw fists over things that we don't know for sure. Uh, and so I, I never mind presenting uh, different opinions uh, because I don't think, you know, when it comes to things we don't know for certain that I'm the one that has all the secrets uh, figured out. So I want to read to you what MacArthur says, and I think it's helpful. He says, 
and this is his, this is in his commentary on on Revelation. While it is impossible to be dogmatic, so that's how he opens this section, uh, and and what he's saying is, it's impossible to know for sure. Uh, this ultimate battle may be triggered by the rapture of the church. Well, that sounds good. Describing that event, uh, the apostle Paul wrote, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be first, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. Possibly, as the raptured believers pass through their realm, the prince of the power of the air and his demon host will try to hinder their passage. That may trigger the battle with Michael and the holy angels. So MacArthur, who I respect very, very greatly, um, thinks this, this war is future and may be over the rapture of the church. Again, my, my issue with that, and it's possible, totally, but my issue with that is in the context of the courtroom, no longer able to accuse the brethren. Um, so, so it's just really hard to time all these things. And as believers, uh, we, we need to be charitable in grace with each other here and on things that we can't know for sure. Um, and if someone is dogmatic, well, let them be dogmatic. You can be very certain about something that's uncertainable. <laughs> sure, go for it. Doesn't hurt my feelings if you think I'm wrong. Who cares? Uh, God's going to straighten us all out when we get to heaven anyways. Because listen, if we needed perfect theology, perfect doctrine, a perfect understanding of all 66 books of the Bible, we'd be doomed. We're going to all get up into heaven and have certain things wrong. And so, again, we need to be, and, and I think that the tragedy there would be if we were dogmatic about things we were wrong about. So I think, again, we, we need to be strong on what we need to be strong on, on what we know is truth, and and be generous and, and open-minded and uh, with, with things that God doesn't give us with maybe the most clarity or Maybe it isn't the most clarity, but us, our human minds have not quite discerned uh, the clarity. Or maybe it's concealed for a time from us. I, you know, I don't know, uh, but we need to be gracious there. Uh, verse 7. <clears throat> now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. We have to recognize how this war began. The child who is to rule the nations has ascended to his throne. Jesus' victory brought about Satan's expulsion from heaven. And the way the, the, the sign is here, the incarnation was part of the enthronement. And when Jesus came, it was as good as if he already won. The kings of the earth already, remember the wise men, they bowed to Jesus in submission. Jesus won when he was still a baby, essentially. Of course, he still had to go through the cross and live a perfect life and resurrect and ascend. But 
but there's those it's almost again in revelation things are celebrated as if they've already happened and they haven't happened yet well when jesus was born and he came peace and good goodwill the angels started crying about peace as if it had already been accomplished well when jesus was victorious in his death and resurrection uh, essentially we, we have to keep in mind that humanity wasn't the only ones to be impacted when Jesus came and did what he did, what, what we're seeing here in Revelation 12 is that the seen and the unseen realms were deeply impacted from that moment. What we see here in Revelation 12 is hundreds of millions of troops are mobilizing and fighting over this event. And the birth of the child, heaven was and is going to be restructured. And Satan and his hundred million demons are going to be removed forever. And so Jesus' sacrifice to pay for the sin of the world, of course. But Jesus' sacrifice also shook heaven itself. We have to be aware of these things. We must recognize these things. Um, that that. that Jesus coming and living and dying and ascending and taking the right hand of the Father is a universe-shaking event. The universe-shaking event. Verse 9. And the dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. You like that? <laughs> and he's the great dragon and serpent and devil and Satan. And he, you see, it's like they keep poking at it, you know, and that pernicious, evil, malicious, macabre, you know, who he is. Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, and he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And notice, as soon as the dragon is thrown to earth, he is given three new names. Five times in chapter 12, he has been called the dragon. He's the dragon, the dragon, the dragon, the dragon, the dragon. But as he's thrown down to earth, he's given three new titles. And these are old titles, but we're reminded of them. He's given new titles as far as the narrative of scripture goes here. Uh, he is the ancient serpent. He is the one who is called the devil. And he is Satan. And this ancient serpent, devil, Satan, is the deceiver of the whole world. That's what these titles do. They deceive the whole world. Who is the accuser, as we read on, uh, the accuser of our brothers. So Satan is thrown to earth as the deceiver of the whole world, then is given three titles. The ancient serpent, again, this connects him to the original deception in the Garden of Eden. Where does evil begin? With him. It says... <coughs> Genesis 3 opens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He's crafty. He's sneaky. He's conniving. He's, he's, he's that lion in tall grass. Uh, he's very crafty and wise. Secondly, he is the devil. That word devil in the Greek, uh, diabolos. Uh, and it means to slander and sometimes to tempt. It says in Matthew 4, Matthew 4, yeah, Matthew 4, um, 
and the devil came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread or in order. He says, so the devil is the tempter and he's also a slanderer. That's how Paul typically uses uh, the devil there. So Satan is a slanderer and we have to understand, and I really hammered this Sunday. One of the chief ways that he slanders is to mar the reputation of the church. He drags us to court. And, and within our context, within an American context, we have to understand that when the church is dragged into court, when believers are dragged into court, not only throughout church history, and if it comes to that in our country, we have to understand if Satan's behind this, and he is, we will not be dragged to court as Christians. But we will be dragged to court as the worst of society. We will be dragged to court as propagandists, as conspiracy theorists, as underminers of progress, as whatever, uh, as hateful for not loving uh, certain lifestyles, LGBTQ lifestyles that, you know, the suicides that are happening in that community are because those Christians are so evil. Uh, and so we will be demonized. We have to understand in the early church, uh, when they assembled, they took the bread and the wine communion uh, of the Lord's Supper. And the rumor went about throughout the Roman Empire that Christians ate the body and blood of Jesus. Well, of course, it's symbolic. It's not transubstantiation. Uh, it's symbolic. And they believe, and so the rumor went around that these Christians that meet in secret, you know what they're really doing? They're cannibals. These are cannibal clubs. And they became the disgust of the Romans. These are barbaric people. Uh, and so that this is what Satan does. And then thirdly, he's the deceiver of the whole world. He's the Satan. The word Satan really derives from the Hebrew there, and it means the opposer or the adversary. He is our chief adversary, our chief opposer. Now, one of the things I, I think that is helpful as we study the, the scriptures as a whole is to keep in mind is that there is the, the person of Satan and there's the office of Satan. There's the person of Satan and the office of Satan. So in, in the Hebrew Bible, do you remember that story where Balaam is riding the donkey, and he's on his way to go meet King Balak to prophesy against the Israelites. And his donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing there with a sword. And, don and this happens three times. And he beats his donkey because he wants to kill the donkey. But when the angel of the Lord stood there with a sword drawn, and that seems to be Jesus. Um, when the angel of the Lord stands there and opposes Balaam, it says he stood there as a Satan, as an opposer to Balaam's way, to, to whatever way Balaam was, was going. So the angel of the Lord was a Satan to Balaam. 
He was an opposer, an adversary to Balaam. So there we see the office of Satan. Now, that being said, what, what I, I think I do not think it would be helpful. I think we would raise more snakes than we could kill uh, if we started calling the church Satan because we are the adversary of, of the devil. <laughs> uh, the New Testament certainly doesn't use that languaging. Uh, so I don't think we want to uh, take on the office of Satan, even though that's a Hebrew term uh, that we could use. Uh, that, that seems to just not be helpful in how the New Testament uses this language. Uh, so when we, we, when we talk about Satan um, uh, in the Bible, what we mean is the person of Satan, the great opposer, the one who defies the living God. Uh, and he is the Satan. So there is an office, but you know we want to probably stay away from calling the, the church being called the Satan. Uh, of the devil, you know, the opposer, the adversary of the devil. We probably want to keep away from that language. Um, again, it's biblical, but as we get into the New Testament, that's certainly not the way that they worded things. And so uh, we, it's moved in another direction, just as a friendly warning and a, uh, what's going on there. Uh, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And that's our text. Boy, we're really going a long time today, and I'm excited about it. Uh, one one thought before we, before we go here, and I think it sheds some light on today's text. Uh, so first, I want to look at a well-known passage as it relates to uh, Revelation, anyways, and that's Daniel chapter 10. Uh, and just as a word of warning, I'm going to butcher some of these words. <laughs> I haven't spent too much time trying to figure out uh, our two, the, the exact pronunciations of the next two passages we're going to read. Uh, Daniel 10.1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word uh, was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. Now, I know I got that one, but you'll see when we get to our next one. And the word uh, was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, entered by my mouth, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and I looked, and what we read will be very similar to Jesus' description in Revelation 1. So we should start seeing some Revelation, that Revelation built upon a lot of these themes. And behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist, his body was like burl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearful changed and I retained no strength and I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words I 
fell on my face in deep sleep with my face on the ground. Isn't that exactly how John responded in chapter one? Yup. I fell over as dead, he says. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me. This is exactly what Jesus did in Revelation 1. John passed out as dead and Jesus touched him and gave him strength. And he sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and standing upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Ah, maybe a little chiasm in there. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that I set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words uh, have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, ooh, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is four days yet to come." What we see is Michael comes to help Jesus fight, particularly the kings of Persia, which seem to be demonic forces. Now, really interesting, in Daniel 10, uh, this Daniel 10 passage is very similar from a lesser well-known passage in 1 Chronicles 12, 19. I'm going to read this to you, and this is where I'm going to butcher these words. Be nice. Some of the men of Manasseh deserted to David, and this is 1 Chronicles 12, 19, deserted to David when he came with the Philistines for the battle against Saul. Yet he did not help them, for the rulers of the Philistines took counsel and sent him away, saying, At peril to our heads, he will desert to his master Saul. As he went to Ziglag, these men of Manasseh deserted to him, Abna, Josabad, Jediel, Michael, ooh, Josabad, two of them, Elu, and Zelethi, um, Chiefs of thousands in Manasseh, they helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor and were commanders in the army. Now, the connection doesn't seem very strong, but then we, we well, the only connection we have is there's a warrior and his name is Michael who came to help David. But now listen to this, verse 22, for from day to day men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. Ah, like Daniel 10, a war is being raged, waged on David. And a Michael, a mighty man of valor, helps David in a fight. And together, they were like the army of God. Isn't that fascinating? Now, also, I think there's maybe a little chiastic structure around the name Michael there, which I also find not a coincidence. Now, let's take Daniel and Chronicles and, and smush them together as it relates to today's passage. Uh, the dragon who seeks to devour Jesus, comes to make war on Jesus, the son of David, who he's called in Revelation. And God sends a Michael to fight for him. And specifically to fight the dragon, which, might I add, 
Saul, in many ways, was a beast-like man. And what I think we can reasonably gather from the scriptures is that Michael is definitely Michael's definitely an assistant to Jesus, but he is possibly the assistant archangel of Jesus. He's definitely a assistant, but he may be, as the scriptures point out, the assistant. And think about it. If the four cherub are the father's chariot wheels, the closest assistants of God, Michael may be Jesus's closest assistance, uh, assistant in the scripture. Michael seems to be Jesus's helper. And maybe this sheds light on the relationship between David and Jonathan. Jesus is the son of David. Uh, and here we see that there is a Michael uh, coming to help David. But maybe this is a light on the, on the relationship between David and Jonathan. Their love for one another is described as closer than that of a love of a woman. This could be a picture of, of Jesus and Michael. Again, maybe not, but maybe. In Jude, notice that Jude and, and Satan are arguing over the body of Moses, and it's almost like they know each other. Very similar. Again, of course, they're going to meet. at Maybe they already already met. Uh, at this war in heaven. And again, uh, Saul was, uh, in some ways, a picture of Satan. Uh, and Jonathan, in some ways, maybe a picture of Michael. And so here's Michael and Saul arguing, uh, as they did over David, the child, over, you know, the Jesus-type figure in David. Uh, notice that Jonathan was loyal to David, uh, as Michael was uh, in to Jesus in Satan's rebellion. So again, there's lots of parallels here that, you know, maybe maybe Jonathan is a picture of Michael here uh, that the church should pick up on. Maybe not, but maybe. And so we don't want to make any grand doctrines out of this, but, but certainly as we look at the scriptures, as we look at Daniel 10, as we look at that 1 Thessalonians 4, that the sound of the trumpet and Michael the archangel's voice is the, is the sign that Jesus is returning, certainly they are intimately connected in scripture. At the end of Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was done in the wilderness, it says angels came to minister to him. Maybe Michael. Again, we, we don't want to make any grand doctrines out of this, but certainly there's enough thread in the scriptures to make us ponder these things, that maybe Jesus and Michael are intimately connected, and maybe like Jonathan and, 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 um, and, and, and David, you know, maybe there's some pictures there of their relationship. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly worth considering, and when Satan comes to oppose, to fight, uh, Jesus in heaven, Michael, Jesus, uh, Jesus' assistant, is the one to ride out to battle for the, for the Christ. Uh, and so there, there's so many interesting parallels here that we should consider. So anyways, let's uh, close this service and pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you for this Bible study and all that you've provided. And um, thank you for your word. We thank you for how rich and vast and deep it is. 
help us to handle it well. Help us to be dogmatic where we should be dogmatic and help us to be uh, curious and malleable and flexible where we should be flexible. And God, we do pray that you would help us to um, not be ignorant of the schemes of the, of the evil one and how he seeks to slander us and mar our reputations. And God, we pray that you help us to be truly godly men and women. We, we, we do ask this in, in your good name. Jesus' name. We love you, God. Be with us now. Send us out in power, and we thank you for the miracles you wrought in and amongst us. So continue to be with us. Draw us closer. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.